As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Art of the Hustle is a production of iHeartRadio. You're listening to The Art of the Hustle, the show that breaks down how some of the world's most fascinating people have hustled and learned their way into achieving great things. I'm your host, Jeff Rosenthal, co-founder of Summit. And today on the show, I had the pleasure of chatting with my dear friend, Michael Acton-Smith. Michael is the co-founder and co-CEO of Calm, the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation with over 2 million subscribers and 85 million downloads. They were an Apple Best of 2018 award winner, and in 2019, Calm became the world's first mental health unicorn, which is a company valued at more than a billion US dollars. In 1998, Michael co-founded the online gadget and gift retailer Firebox.com, which became the UK's 13th fastest private growing business. And in 2004, he founded the entertainment company MindCandy, which built Moshi Monsters into a global online brand with over 80 million registered users, later expanding offline into books and magazines and toys, albums and trading cards and even a movie. He joins us to talk about how meditation can strengthen your mind, how he and his team differentiated Calm in a field with thousands of competitors and his aspirations for turning Calm into the Nike of the mind. So please enjoy my conversation with Michael Acton-Smith. Thank you, frankly, for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited. <laughs> we've, we've had chats in all sorts of unusual places around the world. So um, let's add another to the list. It's true. Where, what, where is the unusual place for you right now? Well, I am currently on the west coast of Ireland in a, a beautiful city called Galway. And the wind is whipping around my house. The Atlantic is wild. And uh, uh, it's a pretty blustery evening. But um, yeah, I love it here. How about you? I'm in Mar Vista, California. I'm in like the Venetian suburbs. Ah. And where did, you, where, where did you grow up? I grew up in a little town outside of London called Marlow, which is on the River Thames. And uh, yeah, very peaceful, very quiet, very green. Couldn't wait to get out of there when I was a kid. And now I can't wait to get back. Where was the first stop when you got out of there? I went to um, university. I went to uh, 
a place in England called Birmingham, which is the, the second city in the middle of middle of the UK. Had a brilliant time, met lots of friends, kind of um, spread my wings a little bit. And, uh, and then I moved back to London to set up my first business. Um, I lived in Soho for many years, which is kind of the, the dirty beating heart of, of London, uh, a very creative, bohemian, um, fun place to live. I love that. And were you particularly talented at anything? Were you exceptional at something and at that phase of your life that gave sort of a precursor to what you would end up going on and building and doing? Do you know, I, I wish I could say I was a child prodigy or a, a genius at something. I Sadly, I don't think I was. I, I was always cooking up random business ideas and driving my parents and, and neighbors around the bend. I don't tell many people this, but I, I was very obsessed with chess for a while. <laughs> I wanted to be a grandmaster and I'd sit in my bedroom learning all the different openings. And, um, and then I drifted away from that when I got a bit older. And what was, what was the first business in London? Well, the first business when I was a kid was um, I used to put on BMX stunt shows in my back garden. <laughs> and you charged? This wasn't just for fun. This was a business? It, it was a business. I did charge. No, no, one, no one came, which was quite sad. But uh, <laughs> I used to spend hours practicing all my moves. Uh, and then I, I had a computer game magazine. I used to have a ZX Spectrum and uh, would, would write these reviews of games for my friends at school. And then... My first proper business when I left university was uh, a company called Hotbox, which uh, I set up with my friend Tom Boardman. And this is 1998, I think. So uh, the internet was just bubbling away and getting going. And we decided to sell gadgets and games and, and toys online. And uh, yeah, it was, it was very random. There were hardly any customers online at that time. Uh, we had to build everything ourselves. There was no Shopify. We if someone wanted to place an order, they would have to print out an order form, fill it in, fax it to us, and then I would type in their credit card number into our PDQ machine and uh, and then type out their address label and send them their, their product. So it was very uh, unscalable. Did you feel like a, a, like a tech startup entrepreneur more at this time or was did you feel more like an artist at this time, living in Soho and building these messy startups? Well, this, this was actually just a little bit before Soho. This was in Wales, in um, just outside of Cardiff, where my friend Tom lived and his parents. We couldn't afford an office, so his parents let us use their attic as our office. Yeah, I don't know quite what we were. I don't think we were artists. I don't think we knew what was going on. We, we, just, we just felt this internet thing was like really exciting. And we just loved tinkering around and playing out with it. This company called Amazon was just getting going in America. Google had just launched. And we thought this was a big, exciting adventure. And uh, yeah, and that's where it all began. How, how long after this phase did Mind Candy come along? So Hotbox changed its name to Firebox because, um, slight segue, but we had the domain hotbox.co.uk and hotbox.com turned out to be one of the world's first and biggest porn sites. So that was all a little bit awkward. Uh, so we changed the name of that business. We grew and then I switched to Mind Candy in about 2004, I think it was. And Firebox is still going. Great sort of purveyor of all sorts of weird and wonderful uh, gifts and toys and gadgets. But um, yeah, my other big love was games. And so I set up Mind Candy to kind of 
uh, explore what would happen if you could create games that hundreds, thousands, even millions of people around the world played together. What, what platforms were you designing for in the first games? Well, this was before the kind of the, the iPhone revolution. So our platform was basically uh, the real world. We created these games called alternate reality games that you would play across different mediums. So we'd hide clues in to this puzzle that we created. We buried a, a $200,000 treasure and um, we put clues in newspapers. We had helicopters sending uh, weird messages to people. We had actors at live events. It was a bit like the game, that Michael Douglas movie. And then obviously there'd be websites and, and all sorts of um, things online where the, the community could play and swap clues and, and tips. And so that game was called Perplex City, which was creatively amazing, but commercially it, it, it didn't work out quite so well. It just didn't quite work. It, we, we, we made the mistake of making something for ourselves and, and not making something for the mainstream. And it just had this very passionate but niche audience. So we had, um, we had a little less than a million dollars left in the bank. We were running out of cash quickly and we had to pivot. And so we came up with this idea to create an online world for children uh, called Moshi Monsters. And it was a bit like the evolution of, of Tamagotchi, but, you know, made in Flash my board were a little confused, but to their credit, they said, you know, give it a go, roll of the dice, see what happens. And after a lot of tinkering and tweaking, that business really, really took off and we caught lightning in a bottle and, and that just grew like crazy over the next few years. Yeah, you had a pretty remarkable journey in that phase of your career that taught you a lot of the lessons that were the foundation for Calm. Would you agree? Definitely. Yes. Yeah, I, I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster and uh, have have got a few things right made a lot of mistakes along the way but moshi was a fascinating business i mean working with kids is is extraordinary they're very honest and and raw they'll tell you exactly what they think we were growing rapidly we had tens of millions of users we had toys and books and magazines and a movie and we thought we were going to be the next disney and uh, the really valuable lesson i learned was that you know in kids entertainment in entertainment of all nature you are, you know, only as good as your, your last hit and things move so quickly. And so we went from being the coolest thing in the playground to, to not the coolest thing in the playground. And that business sort of um, uh, went, went south very quickly. So that was very tough and stressful. And like literally you had to, you know, ride that roller coaster of, of expanding to hundreds of people to ratcheting all the way back down to the core that like ended up carrying out the, the venture, correct? I just remember that being for you something that was like, it was almost polar opposite to the to the feeling of the the years prior, which made you not really believe in the hype in the future. You've never been a guy to like you know read your own press per se. Yeah, I think I think that was a good point. It's very easy to get caught up as an entrepreneur and all the the buzz that surrounds rapidly growing businesses, the awards and the the press and so forth, but. I would wake up every night at 4am uh, in a cold sweat, just going, what the hell am I doing? This business is not working. It just that, that very strong gut feeling that uh, this was not right. And so I wrestled with it for a little bit and then I pulled the plug and decided uh, that, that I just needed to, um, to, to do something new. That, so that was, you know, with Perplexity when we pivoted to, to Moshi. And then Moshi was very stressful when, you know, as you say, having to let hundreds of people go 
and um, kind of restructure the business and revenues collapsing. But I had a great team there and again, a very supportive board and, and we brought a brilliant new leader in to, to run that business. And, and it's still going strong now, many, many years later. But uh, that was the time when I stepped away and set up Calm because I realized I'm, I'm better at building and creating businesses rather than, you know, the, the restructuring and the downsizing and, and all those uh, very, very difficult, complex parts. It sounds like you didn't really have a space between the two. You set up Calm pretty soon after leaving Moshi. Yes. It, it, I'd been thinking about it. And I have a, a very dear friend, Alex Chu, who I set Calm up with. And, and we'd been talking about something similar for, for a while. So yes, I went I went pretty much straight from, from Moshi to, to Calm, which are, are two very, very different businesses. <laughs> I've known Alex also for a decade. I didn't realize you guys were old friends. Yeah, we um he did the million dollar homepage, uh, which I remember reading about, which was he was this broke student and decided to create a website with a million pixels and four months later became a millionaire. I remember reading about it and thinking, Oh my god, that guy is a genius. Um, <laughs> or or completely mad, but um or a mix of the two. And I was lucky enough to meet him at a party in London and we became really good friends and shared a house together in Soho and through great events and parties and festivals and, and, uh, and then set up calm together. And why, why calm? What was the, sort what was the foundation? Why did you guys start this business? Well, I think we felt there was a shift happening in the world that we were getting more and more stressed as, as a society. And we had these devices that were always on and things just seemed to be getting faster and faster. And so this idea of buying a domain name, calm.com and building a brand around this concept of calm just felt like the most natural, exciting, brilliant, beautiful, wonderful business. We just thought it could be one of these very rare businesses that is is not only commercially very successful, you know, we thought we could build a, a billion dollar empire with it, but crucially is also genuinely so good for the world, something that, that people really, really need. You know, we feel calm as a superpower and, and we wanted to, to help spread that uh, around the world. So, so that was kind of the, the initial seed of the business. And yeah, it's, it's been an amazing adventure. Did you guys have mindfulness practices personally? So Alex did. He had been practicing meditation for, for many, many years. And, and I was a, a little bit late to the party. I didn't fully understand it until I went away on my own when I was super, super stressed and uh, spent a week reading about the, the neuroscience uh, behind mindfulness and, and reading books and research papers. And, and this light bulb went on in my head that, you know, wow, this isn't weird or woo-woo this is neuroscience. This is a way to rewire the human brain in a really powerful, positive way. This felt like a skill that every single human being on earth could benefit from. Yeah. From that moment onwards, I've, I've been so deep and, and passionate in this. What sticks out when you, when you reflect back on those original sort of crossover realizations that, you know, it was neuroscience and not, you know, googly gawk. Do you recall any of the, the initial sort of uh, inspirations or the ideas that, that really captured you? Yes. Yes. So some of the books I read that, that were very valuable, um, Search Inside Yourself from Google, an engineer's perspective on, on mindfulness was fascinating. 10% Happier was a, was a great book. I think one of, one of the kind of um, light bulb moments for me was that 
you know, meditating was almost like going to the gym. We, we go to the gym and we lift weights and that resistance builds up the muscles in, in our arms. And meditation is, is like doing the same for our minds. When we sit and, and we meditate, fills with thoughts and we acknowledge those thoughts and, and we move them aside and we go back and focus on a constant such as our breath. And then another thought will come into our head and we will do the same and again and again. And those repetitions build up the, the strength of our mind, our, our awareness. And that is so valuable for, for everyday life. I think one of the, the biggest things a meditation practice has, has done for me is change the way I respond to stimulus in, in life. So I respond instead of react. You know, most of us react with our amygdala when, whenever something happens to us. We honk our horn in traffic or, or we shout at our partner if they, they do something unexpected. But if you just respond and you take that fraction of a second longer to think how, how you will respond, it, it changes everything. So that was a real valuable moment for me. We'll be back with more Art of the Hustle after the break. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. 
Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The idea that you guys are like civilizing meditation, you're making it more accessible. Is that evident in the way that you guys were thinking about setting up the company? I know it's how you guys think about it today and the way that you build these amazing, you know, partnerships with thought leaders in different spaces for, for content, et cetera. Very, very conscious. Yes. It, it was one of the first things we talked about when we realized how valuable this practice is. You know, it, it's, it's been around for thousands of years, but, but it had so much baggage associated with it. So many people were, were dismissive of it. And we, we were like, how can we reframe this? How can we make it simple and accessible and relatable to folks in, in the modern world? And so that was, uh, that was a key foundation that, that we built um, the business on. And Tamara is fantastic as, as a teacher. And, you know, the, the daily calm is, is short and simple. It's only 10 minutes long, but there's a different lesson or there's something new every day you take away from it. So we made the app super simple and, and the UX is, is, is amazing. So all these little things came together to, to create something that, that really caught fire. And, and now a few years later, we've got almost a hundred million downloads around the world, more than one person every second somewhere around the world, downloads calm. It's, it's quite extraordinary how, how far it's come. It really is. But tell us, so what's, what's some of the hardest parts? Well, calm has done very well, as, as has Headspace, but there are thousands of, of meditation apps in the app store and sleep apps and health and wellness apps. So part of what got us here is a little bit of luck and, and the right timing, but then just absolute obsession and passion with all the tiny little details that, that go into um, making a successful product and, and business. So it's everything from, you know, our world-class user acquisition team, the way we think about branding, uh, the way we create and obsess over content, the way we look at data and we mix it with instinct. There's just so many little pieces that, that have come together. And, and so each of those is, is, is a challenge. And, you know, I think we, we did create fantastic meditation content, but, but if we'd stopped there, we wouldn't have built a successful business. So the challenge is always figuring out what is the next layer to, to put on top? Where do you go next? So after meditation, we went to sleep and we experimented there and again, caught lightning in a bottle for a, a second time. And I'm, I'm so passionate about sleep. It, it's, you know, a big market, seven and a half billion people do it every night of their life. And we, we wanted to reinvent the bedtime story. And we felt, how could we create beautiful stories that mix music and sound effects and soporific voices and create poetic language and reduce the volume and the pacing of the words to create these kind of magical stories. And they've been phenomenal. Hundreds of millions of, of these sleep stories have been listened to, you know, with everyone from Harry Styles to Matthew McConaughey reading them. And so, yeah, that was our second act, which, um, which propelled the business forward again. You know, it's such a funny thing to like, think we were overlooking because it's sort of commonplace now, like when, at least among certain circles to be considerate of your sleep and your health and wellness in a way that like 
36 months ago was not nearly as much on the register or radar. Yeah, it, that's so true. And as you say, just a few years ago, it was almost a badge of honor to show off how little sleep you got at night. <laughs> and that's just madness. The science has advanced so much, showing us how you know sleep is vital, not just in the short term for our next day memory and energy levels, but our immune system. And then over our entire life, over decades, you know, a lack of sleep increases the chance of um, getting diseases such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. So it's unbelievably important. I have to say, you know, like it's, it's rare where you get to like work on something that you care so much about, like you guys do. And I think it's even rarer where you have like the capacity to technologically build, um, what you can sort of envision as a brand. Like you'll find amazing brand designers or thinkers who can envision a beautiful future they, they, they don't typically have the wherewithal or talent also in-house to actually build this stuff. So when you talk about, you know, the technical components or UX or UI or user acquisition or brand in particular, which is where I'd love for you to extrapolate this a little bit further, because I know, uh, you know, it, it's surprising sometimes when people hear how you envision the brand and then it makes a little bit more sense why, you know, it's differentiated itself, you know, as far and away the market leader. Yeah, we're... we're... We're very passionate about brand at, at Calm, and brand isn't always respected um, in Silicon Valley, which, which was something Alex and I found quite interesting when we went there. So that was a that was a big uh, interesting learning. But when you're building something like this, brand is so important. We needed to create something that felt simple and beautiful and accessible, and dare I say, cool, because we had to shake off the the baggage from from the past. And so, yeah, a lot of thought has, has gone into it. We've still got a long way to go. We, we often talk about building the Nike of the mind. And, you know, Nike surfed the wave around the physical fitness boom over the last half century. And, and we think mental wellness, mental fitness is, is the next huge boom. And so we want to build calm into, as I say, the Nike of the mind. I love that. And, you know, Nike, the way that they would express it internally in their marketing leadership, and I think that in their, in their campaigns as well, but if you have a body, you're an athlete, you know, if you're alive, you have a mind. And if you exercise your mind, you, you get better results from it. That's sort of the basic math, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, it, it is crazy to think mental health has been something that that was so stigmatized until very recently. You know, you couldn't talk about it with your boss or friends. Um, and no wonder so many people are suffering in silence and, and depression and anxiety and PTSD and suicide has, has been a huge, huge issue in, in Western societies. So I think it's fantastic that that stigma is now starting to fade away and, and people are comfortable to talk about their mental health. But And if you think about it, if you just step back, what is more important than looking after and understanding our minds? It, it is the frame in which we see everything. <laughs> it, we can make a heaven of hell and a, a hell of heaven. And we don't get taught any of this at school or, or very little until recently. That's starting to, to change, fortunately. But um, yeah, the, the brain is the most complex thing in the known universe, yet it, it doesn't come with an instruction manual. And Products like Calm, we hope, can help people just better understand themselves and, and who they are and how they relate to other people. And we hope help them live more joyful, happier, and, and healthier lives. 
Amazing. I'm just, so for you, I mean, I'm sure that you must have like some personal, you know, stories with this where you've seen this, you know, work, truly work firsthand. But then I'm, I, I'm curious, are you guys thinking about this from a, a scaled perspective? Because I imagine, you know, it would frankly save insurers, taxpayers, people, tons of money if we were minding, you know, the, the foundational aspects of our mental health that end up resulting in so many different manifestations of our, you know, physical and financial poor well-being. It's, it's so true. And, and this is what is exciting about what we're doing. We, we still feel like we, we barely scratched the surface of, of the potential here. You know, we have about three and a half million paying subscribers, but we want to reach everybody on, on earth and, and bring this valuable skill. So one of the interesting growth areas for us is, is, is connecting with companies and health insurers. And so to your point, you know, if people have come hopefully using it like going to the gym for your body will reduce the downstream need for therapists or psychologists or expensive um, medication. So that is valuable to, to insurers. But second, could using a product like Calm help people live healthier physical lives as well? Could developing a meditation practice make you more conscious about what you put in your body, reducing the incidence of heart disease or diabetes or enabling you to take more exercise. So if this is true, which which we believe it is, this is uh, an enormously valuable uh, opportunity for, for many, many people. And where are you going from here? What kind of stuff are you guys building right now? Is it new languages? Is it new you know, uh, partnerships? Where Where is this manifesting in 2020? Yeah, we're, we're juggling a lot at the moment, trying to be careful that we don't chase every single shiny object. You know, I, I often talk about us wanting to take the brand offline could calm be clothing and books and magazines and a hotel and an island one day, maybe. But in, in the near term, uh, it's creating more amazing content for our audience, creating more teachers, um, creating new types of sleep stories, expanding into the kids' realm, because so many kids struggle with, with anxiety and, and sleep challenges. International is a big area where we have translated Calm into six languages, but we've got many, many more coming. And then, yeah, as I touched on earlier, the biggest area is probably the the B2B, bringing Calm into corporations and, and working with healthcare insurers. Because most companies offer some kind of gym membership to their employee base, but very few offer mental health and, and that's changing rapidly. And we don't see why every company in the world shouldn't offer some kind of mental health support to their important employee base. Totally. And is that a huge is that a huge growth area for Calm right now? You're saying that's a place where, you know, people are really shifting their thinking in the present moment? Yes. Yeah, we, we've built uh, a team there and we saw a, a, a tremendous acceleration during um, the pandemic as companies look for ways to support their employees working from home. And that, that acceleration has continued. So yeah, we are, we're investing very heavily in that side of the business. All of us, you know, are going through, you know, trauma right now is TSD. It's not even PTSD at the moment. So, you know, anything that we can do, any moment that we can take to sort of reward ourselves and be, you know, thankful to ourselves um, and just meditate or take a minute to breathe or, you know, walk slowly or what is the thing that allows you to find calm to your point. And what's amazing about the term is that it's like, and, and this is what I've been thinking about recently and like the, my, my reasons for it, you know, the reasons I give myself to have a practice in a sense 
is like if you are in fight or flight, it's impossible to be creative and imaginative. Yes, it's so, so true. And so many of us are, you know, <laughs> our sympathetic nervous systems are just constantly engaged and we're, we're flooded with cortisol and adrenaline. And um, no wonder people are just frazzled and, and burnt out and stressed and unable to, to think deeply and get into a state of flow. So yeah, tapping into calm uh, as a superpower, just being conscious and aware of it is, is so, so valuable. Um, you mentioned breathing. I think that's such an important one that, that most of us just barely give a second thought to, yet it's something we do you know, more than half a billion times during our lifetime. And I find whenever I'm just anxious or, or stressed, just focusing on my breath for a, a few seconds is, is so valuable, so quick to, to change that, that state of mind. You know about the eight second breath, bro? Is that, go on, is that when you, um, uh, no idea the lineage, but somehow <laughs> you know, I have in my practice, someone at some point taught me to like, just count my inhale and exhale and try to like build up to eight seconds in a sense in each direction. And it has like a pretty immediate effect for me. Um, and, and in terms of sleep stories, you know, like it was, you know, for, for my wife, like after and during like the pregnancy, you know, like that was a huge, huge benefit to her, um, in terms of helping her relax, helping her fall asleep, which I don't know if that's something that you guys have been doing thoughtfully as well around like maternity. But I mean, these are these amazing, like we're talking about them as like, quote, categories, like you would as a venture capitalist or an entrepreneur. But the reality is, 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 is these are the things that every single human does and would love to do more peacefully or better. So true. Another one is, you know, gratitude. Um, how, how simple but valuable that is as a practice. And again, we just get so overwhelmed. We, we get lost in our own thoughts and caught in loops and when you can just consciously snap out of that and just focus on something you're grateful for, whether you're trying to fall asleep or in the middle of the day, I think that's a really powerful way of changing one's state as well and um, resetting. Art of the Hustle will be right back after this short break. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters, the theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. 
It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, Calm's place in, you know, this this moment that we find ourselves? I know that it's enough to like fight the battle that you're focused on, which is, you know, providing mind, mindfulness and calm to all. Um, but I also imagine that you're, you know, you're a really reflective guy. I'm curious your thoughts. Yes. Yeah. We we take our responsibility very seriously to help and support where we can. So, um, you know, when the, the pandemic first hit, we created a, a site at calm.com forward slash together and put a lot of our content and made it free for, for anyone around the world. We are very passionate about changing the world. And one of the, the best ways to do that is starting with the younger generation. So we have a program called Calm for Schools, where teachers around the world can get calm for free and um, bring a little bit of peace and calm and mindfulness in, into their classrooms. So those, those are a few areas. And then we want to explore how can we help other groups as well, you know, from first responders fighting these just unbelievable fires to prisoners veterans, you name it, that there's so many people we'd like to reach and, and support. So um, as I say, we it just feels like we barely scratched the, the, the surface of, of this big journey ahead of us. And if I can just ask more like 50,000 square, like 50,000 foot questions to close out, you know, you, you've had this incredible journey, you know, like you're, you know, from at least over our friendship, you know, over the last like 10 years where, you know, with having you know, these startups that are just like almost for fun more than for anything else or for passion. Right. And, you know, then growing and building a company that raises venture capital and pivots into success, going through such a, you know, wild roller coaster. And then to, you know, kind of, I think, arrive at a place that, you know, you're stewarding a company that's really generationally representative, right? Like, I don't know that there's many other calms out of the last decade in our generation. But like, you know, what are some of the things that like you wish you had known earlier in the journey or the lessons that you learned that like, you know, you keep front of mind now? It's a good, 
a good question. Um, I mean, I've definitely made a lot of mistakes along the way, but, but I don't beat myself up about them because we can only make the best decision we can at the time with the information we have. In hindsight, everything <laughs> looks completely different. And I think those mistakes and dead ends it got me to this point where I am now. And the other way of looking at it is, you know, the world is so competitive. Business and, and startups are, are so tough that to do anything new, you really have to be playing around at the edges and it's dangerous at the edges. <laughs> You're going to fail and screw up a lot more times than, than you succeed. So yeah, just being comfortable with, with getting things wrong. But, but I think one of the biggest things is, is having that fast cycle to be able to place lots of little bets quickly to try things that doesn't work, doesn't work, doesn't work, that works. Then you do a little bit more of it. That's how you kind of edge your way to, to the big, big successes. And you've just got to be very disciplined and very focused. And um, uh, and also a bit of a cliche, but just make sure you really enjoy what you're doing. Um, and I've always done that for every business I've been involved in. It's, it's been something that I'm personally super excited and passionate about. It sounds to be a bit like a mad scientist approach. You have a scientist method and you're you know truly enthused about the thing that you're building so you're always thinking about it and you can be creative with it and i always found that to be really interesting but even like you know people that would i, I still don't fully get it because i'm not a developer but you know people that are and work with them regularly tell me that the best developers are the most creative ones right it's it's like always finding the art and the thing that you're doing in a sense but um i love that i love that you have you know, a lab to, to work with and tinker with to continue to create these innovations that, you know, make our lives better. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. No, thank you for saying that. I, I think, you know, a lot of the big breakthroughs in, in life, whether they're a business or an invention, come from people that just go very deep on, on one thing. That deep, deep focus is so important because, the killer ideas, the killer step forwards don't just happen when you're sitting at your desk, you know, typing away. Your brain, unconscious, the unconscious part of your brain or the subconscious needs to be whirring away the whole time. And so that only comes with, with that depth of, of focus. So I think that's, that's a big, probably the, the single most important advice I'd give to anyone trying to, trying to crack anything. Just go deep and uh, remove as many kind of distractions as you can. Well, Michael, thank you for being on the podcast. You're a great friend and an inspirational leader and entrepreneur and an incredibly generous guy. And you always have been with everyone that's, you know, had the pleasure of coming through your life. And uh, thanks again, man. And, you know, for, for the listeners, it's just calm.com, right? Anything else that we should check out or any other info that we should go and learn about? No, I think, I think calm.com is, is great. And yeah, thank you for that, um, that lovely uh, ending there. I'm, I'm blushing here in, in Galway. And thank you for your friendship over this decade. I, I still remember when we, when we met for the first time, when I'd heard about these crazy guys buying a mountain and uh, this huge, wild, ambitious plans. I thought, wow, I need to meet those folks. And so, yeah, I'm very grateful for the friendship that we've had over these many, many years. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for listening, Art of the Hustle, and see you next time. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.